Hi, everyone. Welcome to Orthopod. My name is Mo Bandari, uh, Editor-in-Chief of OrthoEvidence, and I'm here with Dr. Darren Desa, um, who is an orthopedic surgeon with an interest in sports and trauma, uh, currently assistant professor at McMaster University. Of note, he is also a team physician uh, with uh, the soccer and the football teams locally, both the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, and the Forge. Um, welcome, Darren. Thank you, Dr. Bandari. Um, let me just get um, to the chase here. We have um, a paper that I'm aware of that will be coming out in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, uh, likely in the next few months. Uh, but you know, the early the early focus of this paper um, has been the use of hip injections in patients uh, with hip arthritis or osteoarthritis of the hip, varying degrees, so anywhere from mild to moderate. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, though, um, is they're not showing quite, I guess, the enthusiasm for various types of injectables that are being used right now to manage hip osteoarthritis. And before we get into the specific results, I'm just curious what your approach has been to, you know, individuals who come in with either early stage or potentially even later stage osteoarthritis. I know you're primarily in sports medicine. So if you maybe want to speak from that context, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, with regards to injection therapy for joint pain, uh, particularly in the early arthritic population, I, I use injections as a kind of key component of my non-operative treatment strategy. Uh, the issue, particularly with hip pain and managing patients with hip pain, is that it kind of you know, comes at you from different angles. So unlike other joints, say in the shoulder or the knee, where a lot of the literature is translated over, the hip's quite deep-seated. So to really understand what's driving the pain, uh, you need kind of this layer concept starting from the joint and then working kind of outwards to the skin and the uh, referred pain sources from the lower back and pubic area. The issue also with these with managing these patients is that uh, we have now an increased focus on the patient and their preferences and their expectations. And so managing that regardless and doing so in a cost-effective and evidence-based manner poses a, poses a challenge. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, I'll I'll present you a little bit of, 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 the, of the paper and just get your take on what you think is going on here. So there were 11 randomized trials, which in and of itself is pretty good, right? They're looking at various types of treatments. Mm-hmm. That had about just over 1,300 patients that were involved in this. And they looked at placebo, which would be the saline injection for the most part. They looked at hyaluronic acid. They also looked at uh, corticosteroid therapy. Uh, and they also looked at uh, platelet-rich plasma. So, you know, sort of the, that's the milieu anyway that you've seen typically in the uh, knee as well. Yes. And they also looked at a combined HA with PRP injection. So they looked at, you know, what was available. Patients with severity anywhere from KL grades one all the way up through four. So it's a mix as, as is almost typical in most of these studies, the majority probably being in the two, three range, I'm guessing, just based mm-hmm. on what I saw in the papers. Mm-hmm. But here's what they find. They find across all of these treatments, none of them performed any better than just a saline injection. So the argument here again is what we're seeing is almost a a recapitulation of what we saw in the knee, which was, you know, maybe it's just harder to get. Maybe they're not doing it the correct way. It's possible. But, you know, across all the different studies, which are still 11 different trials, Mm. um, there did not appear to be any improvement of using any of these other treatments over saline alone. Now, all of them from pre to, you know, um, post in terms of, you know, over time seemed to do well. So it wasn't as though like, like nothing works. It was just that overall, they all seem to work the same. I wonder if that is, um, just an error? I mean, have you, have you had an experience with others? And again, this is 
taken at face value. I mean, these are small trials and, you know, so there's, it's quite plausible that this is just hypothesis generating. It is in fact, but I am curious how it mirrors what you've been thinking about or, or if it contradicts some of the things you've been thinking. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things that I kind of picked up from one of my mentors in fellowship was to kind of look at those studies that potentially either they all may show benefits, but the overall conclusion may be no difference between different treatment arms and to look at that and to really ask yourself, does the no difference actually truly reflect the no difference or is there something we're not capturing? And, you know, the hard part with particularly injection therapy, at least taking it from the knee literature, is that there's significant heterogeneity across many different aspects of it in terms of doses, frequency of injections. Uh, PRP literature in general is, is quite, uh, you know, all over the place with regards to formulations and we don't really know exactly what we're, what we're injecting. And so I think it's important that uh, this study and the conclusions that you raise you know, identify, you know, more importantly, like the need for appropriate patient selection. I think, you know, by and large injections uh, for joint pain uh, may not be applicable to every patient. And of course, you know, we just don't understand the relative contribution of the many factors that go into uh, one's response to them, if at all. And, you know, they did the thing that is becoming more and more I wouldn't say popular, but say just being used more is this concept of the minimal clinically important difference. So uh, to your point, even though some of these areas had a small statistically significant benefit in favor of one or the other, let's say, mm-hmm. um, they believe that it wasn't big enough based on standards of you know, statistics, um, that, the, that the difference wasn't big enough that it would actually matter to patients. So they said that this wasn't a clinically important difference. It may have been statistically significant, but, but again, that was a narrative that quite frankly, the top sports medicine journal uh, certainly felt was an important one uh, to put out. So it seems to me that because it's being endorsed uh, at this level, at some point it will be published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine as one of the top journals, if not the top in terms of impact. Um, It does make us pause to think, you know, is there a larger, is is there just a general larger story here that we have to be considering? So what happens now when this paper comes out um, and showing potentially there isn't a benefit and yet it, this tool of injection, as you said, is a, you know is an important part of the of, of the evaluation and or treatment of patients. What do what do clinicians do then? Yeah, I mean that's a very very important question. I think uh, just kind of taking parallels from what we've been doing in the media literature, right. I think it's important to take uh, this evidence here, which yeah. no doubt is you know methodologically sound. We have eleven RCTs. I think it highlights the you know relative sparsity of the literature in this regard with regards to hip injections versus knee. But I think the next step would be to take, you know, a consensus of, you know, expert clinicians, lots of experience, and have us all kind of agree on terms of what we count as uh, more important outcomes in terms of longevity. So, you know, are we looking at one year, two year outcomes? Is it just VAS pain or function? Uh, there's a lot still to capture, I think, in this, but it's definitely a good you know, starting point for that we need to look at this a little bit further. Okay, so let me just take one, one step further um, for, from this from you is, okay, so you have a patient who comes in, um, in the absence of using injections, what would be your standard of care for managing someone coming in? Let, let's say it's a, you know, an athlete coming in with, let's say, an early hip OA. What would be your general broad principles of, 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 of a management? And is there an op- and, and when do we even consider an operation in this group at all? Yeah, so my general principles, I, I believe personally in the value of manual therapy. And so I start there as a first line for most. And what I've started to do, particularly at the knee, and I translate this to the hip and the shoulder, is to truly understand the entire 
uh, biomechanics that are going on. It's not just the focus exam of the hip and assessment of the hip. It's looking at right. the core and in the knee and referred sources. And so that's where I yeah. start. And I often do a biomechanical analysis to do that with physio. Okay. Uh, when, when someone kind of makes the criteria for uh, surgery uh, would largely depend on if uh, I had imaging uh, consistent with something that, uh, in my opinion, wouldn't respond well to a conservative approach and should be dealt with earlier, is time sensitive, or if they've demonstrated a period of time where they've given it their all, we've, we've analyzed it as much as we can, and we're still not, you know, we're better, but we're not there 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, great, great, great. Um, and uh, I know that you um, certainly had a center that does lots and lots of uh, procedures for the hip and, you know, that are uh, considered to be either uh, reshaping procedures or labral procedures. I mean, how common are you doing those types of procedures in patients who are coming in with an arthritic uh, pathology? Is, is that even an indication at this point? You know, the same way we used to see, quite frankly, in the knee, uh, mm-hmm. procedures being done, you know, uh, for the meniscus for arthritic pathology. And that's sort of long now been changed. Yes. Uh, I mean, they, they still happen. What I would say is that the issue we have with the hip and, and other joints as well is that there's a high degree of radiographic and MRI pathology that may be asymptomatic. And so the key part is kind of distinguishing who with the labral tear actually is symptomatic from the labral tear versus the arthritis and then to what degree. And so that's kind of where injections, I think, come in handy in both a diagnostic and therapeutic perspective. And so we still use them quite frequently in the diagnostic sense. Okay, great. And I'll ask you the final question before we let you go here uh, to, and to get on with the rest of your day. Um, do you think that any one paper, regardless of that paper, can actually lead to a, you know, to a, a shift in how people use that, uh, you know, use that particular treatment? So, for example, one paper, one meta-analysis that, that seems to look at all the treatments suggesting, in fact, that injectables, at least the common ones being used, uh, don't offer any benefit. Do you meaningfully, if you have your crystal ball look forward, do you think this is going to actually shift behavior or is it going to require a lot more than just a single paper to shift this behavior going forward? Uh, I think in and of itself, one paper, uh, unlikely. However, this is, uh, you know, network analysis is one of the highest levels of evidence and particularly when it's done well with many RCTs and the best available literature, it's definitely a springboard that will bring people to the table to start discussing it. The advantage that I think we have with, uh, injection therapy, which we may not have in other aspects of ortho, is that we can do direct comparisons. And so it's a springboard to show exactly what we, what we have in the literature, where we can go forward, and how we interpret it. So it definitely is a springboard to go forward. Yeah, great. And if nothing else, I hope it'll, it will, as you suggest, uh, increase the debate and maybe get uh, you know, individuals thinking of, you know, rather than doing multiple, rather than taking 11 randomized trials to get 1,300 patients, we can certainly get 1,300 patients in a single trial. And uh, maybe the that will be the ultimate real driver of getting us to get some better, better data in the longer term. But thank you very much, Dr. Desa, for taking a little bit of time with us to help us think through uh, this paper that comes out uh, in the British Journal of uh, Medicine. The authors, just to, um, the key author and the lead author in this paper is uh, Dr. Gazendam. And, uh, you know, we can find the OE original report of this and the full authorship uh, on ortho evidence. Thank you so much.